Hello, everybody. This is Tuesday. So, you know, on Tuesday, you have the best of the best. Hey, we're having a little technical problems with StreamYard in the fact that we're getting an echo. So I hope you'll be able to bear with me. Maybe it'll help if I turn down my mic, my mic a little bit. See if that helps. Um, Manina, can you still hear me? Yes, I can see. I, I, do, I do hear you. Okay, good. So I think that may have helped a little. Hey, everybody, I have a great guest on. He has a fabulous background. You, can you guess what my secret is today? I'm rocking new glasses. Aren't they fun? I look like a superstar. <laughs> okay, listen, down to serious business. We have an expert on the line. And he has a very rich background. Originally, he is from the Congo. And you know what? I'm old enough to remember when it was called the Belgian Congo. Mm -hmm. And now it's the Republic of Congo. Did I get it right? Democratic Republic of Congo, indeed. Yes, yes. And so, and now he's in Brussels, which I love because I love the little statue, this little statue of the boy. Yeah. What is he called again? Mannequin Peace. Yes. <laughs> he's he's all in the corner, so you can barely find him, but it is a riot. <laughs> and I miss the Brussels fish. Oh my god, the fish, the pate, the soups. <sighs> mm -hmm. I'm so jealous that you're there. So, without further ado, please introduce, oh, you know what, before we start, I have to remember to remind everybody to please subscribe to my newsletter in LinkedIn, and when you listen to this, please rate and comment on, for us on your favorite platform. It could be Apple Music, it could be Amazon. We are all over Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube. We really appreciate your feedback and your comments. And we're going to start to call people out in a good way if you comment. So now, without further ado, let me introduce my guest. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to screw up his name. So I'm okay if he pronounces it correctly for me. Manina. Manina. Yes? Maina. You are very close. Very close, Maina. Um, does it have a special meaning? Yes, it does. Actually, my two names do have a meaning. So Maina has a meaning as alter ego. Uh, and the key to Maini, which is my second name, uh, means hope. So I want to ask you, how in your native country, um, how are names created i mean how does your how do your parents select your names for the special meaning basically it's a it's a matter of the i would say the, the character uh, that the, the, the parents want to see in their children and how they how they see the child the child moving forward in life and it's really about the the character that people want to see that's fascinating and so how does alter ego play into the character. Did, are your parents proud of how you fit the name? Oh, it's a very good question. I, you should ask them the question, but I do, I do, I do try and strive to, to bear the name with, uh, with distinction and, uh, and pride. So I, I, hope they, I hope they are. So how have you demonstrated an alter ego? Um, basically, I would say, in the way I'm uh, on a daily basis. Um, if you, you ask myself to, to introduce, basically to introduce myself and say, tell a little bit about myself, um, I would tell that I'm very much a, a global African business citizen. And there you can already see the, the alter ego side of in, in your question, in the, in the sense that there's this, this dual, uh, this dual perspective I do have or global perspective in general. Uh, but at the same time, very much African at heart due to the, the education I received uh, by my parents. And on the other side of the and on the other side of the equation, um, as far as the, the business citizen uh, of the world is concerned, 
Uh, I'm very passionate by the corporate world. I'm very passionate about strategy and corporate strategy in general. Uh, and it's very much the reading grid that I do use and that I use basically to, to, to look at the world. Uh, although my passion in business also um, leads me to, to transcend it and to look for other areas and other, discipline, other disciplines and see basically how they can interact with the business, how they can interact with strategy and how basically my, my own business perspective can be enriched uh, by, uh, by those alternative perspectives. Well, I'll tell you what, if I was your parent, I would be proud of you. I love it. Thank you, so, Thank you very much. You're freezing a little bit on your frame. Uh, so there's a little bit of lag time. Now, how did you end okay. up? First of all, I have to share uh, with the audience that we met through Thinkers 50, right? Right. Yes. And so yeah. um, how did you get two questions? How did you end up in Brussels from the Congo? Was that your direct route or were you in Canada, United States? I mean, what are the countries? What was your travel route? It's, it's, even, it's even more straightforward. I'm actually born in Brussels. That's what the, my parents came actually to Belgium and I'm born in Brussels. So it's even more straightforward than what you told. So, okay. Now, if you're born in Brussels, how did you then get to the Congo and become educated there? Actually, I've, I've done most of my, all of my education in Belgium and I would say across Europe. Uh, and, and, the, and the perspective I, I did get through my parents, through my education, and through, you know, as, I, as I told the, the history of my country. And, uh, and, and the interest I do have uh, in Africa and then in the rest of the world uh, has always intertwined and has always given me this dual perspective I do have on when I looked at international things, either on the geopolitical side or in all on the, the more on the business side. So in, in the United States, we say that you have the wanderlust for travel, right? It means that you like yeah. to go all over and examine and learn and explore. So how did you select the Congo from Belgium? Is this a, a natural transition or how did it happen? By natural transition, I mean, did your parents work there? Did they travel there? Were they in government? How did you select the Congo? Actually, um, there are two sides of the, on, on, of the equation, or two sides on the story. So uh, on my brother's side, um, the thing is that my the story of my family uh, and the story of my country actually one and the same country because my grandfather was actually uh, the first president of the Democratic Republic of Congo after the independence. And my mother took over from him as well and later ran, ran for office. And my, my father was actually also born in Congo, but uh, my father came to Belgium for, uh, for work. Basically, at that time, he was uh, working as a dad, mm -hmm. working for the, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, and my mother was actually studying here, and basically, that's, that's where I met. Now I'm fascinated by your mother because, uh, you know, yeah. being a woman, I want to know about her success and how she came to be. Um, let me ask it this way. In the Congo, is it normal and accepted that women have a higher education and move into prominent positions? It has been a challenge. It has been a challenge because, as you as you as you can imagine, a few decades from you know uh, ago, um, there were very few women. So in in the political in the political scene, um, so she really imposed herself as a as a leading figure and at that time as a leading figure of the opposition. Uh, and achievement after achievement, um, basically, she very much stood up very strongly for opposition and for. A strong willingness to uh, to transform the country. That is something that she had uh, taken over from her father. Um, and moving forward, that's the vision she's always stood for, and basically that she brought for she, she put forward uh, in her own political party. Because at that time she was also, after some time in the leading party of the opposition, she she basically became president of her own party. Uh, and 
she also went in the in the government after the fall of the of the dictatorship of Mobutu uh, in 1997 1998 but after that she felt that uh, it was not really the ideal that she was pursuing and then she decided to to quit because uh, because it wasn't she was not aligned with the, uh, the way the things were conducted so you know what i would love to interview your mother um I, I love her history, and you know we are we are moving this program to talk more about courage, and it sounds like your mother just embodies the word courage, and so it's no wonder that she has such a strong son. Thank you, but to to, to say that to to really, I mean, if I have to really then connect the dot with my personal history or the history of my family and then the type the the the, the type of prior to be and I, I strive to be um as a strategic advisor today i would say that and that's why i did mention that yeah, i really believe that in the hinds in hindsight and with the benefit of experience um it really influenced me as a leader on the, i would say on three areas the first one is what i would call the courage of purpose the second one is the courage of leadership and the courage of refusing the, the status quo. And naturally, the third one is actually a very strong sense of um, transformational leadership aspiration. And an anecdote that would like, I would like to share with you is that uh, we, you know, back then, so 10 years ago, uh, rather than celebrating the, the 50th uh, birthday of the independence, and I had been very curious about uh, the speeches of my grandfather as a president. And, and I was actually amazed by the accuracy of his vision at that time, but I also realized that it has been so uh, reversed by a coup, and he didn't really oppose the coup because in his side, in, in his mind, the purpose of the nation was greater and bigger and more important than his, his own personal destiny. Um, and, and when I relate that with my career, um, I've had some times where I really also had to basically. Um, measure whether I was standing for, for the purpose I was actually defining for myself and for my own trajectory. The mm -hmm. second side is that on the second point is when you grow and you evolve in an environment where the discussion on the table is how can we change the country? How can we, uh, how shouldn't we just accept the status quo? To a certain extent, it also leads you to uh, to a point where you actually grow with a sense of responsibility towards the society. And on the third point, on the, the transformational leadership aspiration, the, the, the thing is that by nature, if you're in an environment where the, the thinking is about how can we change the nation, naturally, there's a, there's a natural drive for transformational leadership that I, that they just, you know, that just, it's just transmit, I would say, from generation to generation. So uh, I would say that those three elements has been really key in, in my own development. And that, if I relate that to my career, today I very much define myself as a strategic thinker, as a strategic leader, and as a strategic advisor. And on the thinking side, it's very much tied to my passion for strategy, my, most importantly to my passion for ideas and my passion to actually turn those ideas into insight and then turn those insights into, into strategies for, 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 for companies. On the leadership side, and the things that also my greatest ambition when I think about thought, thought, thought leadership, really to provide insight that inspires leaders to think, lead and act strategically and distinctively. And I've made really a point of honor to really try to bring very very much a very fresh perspective in every strategic insight that I do share with my, with client or more generally with the community on the leadership side yes yeah I want to first go back to discussing changing the country um, yes. so so your grandfather had this dream of changing the nation over uh, his his own concerns in life, right? Um, right. And then there was a coup. 
Um, mm -hmm. In the United States, we have been fighting to change our nation. We, you know, for many of us, especially people of color, we haven't seen that change. We've seen like maybe a little inchworm and then it goes back and hides and then or moves in a different direction and then we move forward. And, you know, for the age of our country relative to how much we've moved, <clears throat> it hasn't been significantly measurable, right? Because it's been so small. For you in looking at what your father designed and had in mind, have you seen great changes in the Congo? Because at this point, so many of us are mm -hmm. frustrated here in the United States. We don't know, we haven't figured out the secret source to bring the courage together in the three areas that you presented to, so that we can really observe change in a significant way. To answer your question, honestly, I, I'm afraid that uh, unfortunately we haven't seen the change that he had that he really had started instilling the country, uh, because the leadership that has followed uh, after the coup unfortunately didn't really didn't really share that perspective and didn't really um, inscribe itself in, uh, in in that perspective. And for thirty leadership, and then afterwards, unfortunately, the sense of development not that strong uh, in what you know what what you could uh, you could observe in the country so you so, mm -hmm, go ahead no i was just i was just about to say so when you when looking at the some of the speech and when he really projected his vision not only for the country but for the continent and more generally speaking for the the, the world um it, part of part of the accuracy was also due to the fact that it, unfortunately it hasn't been uh, put forward and followed by effect uh, you know throughout the, the leadership that followed him mm -hmm. so if we take okay the the governmental leadership and we see that that has not succeeded it it, it occurs to me that your approach is more taking the organizations and directing them towards courage in the three areas that you presented. Do you think that those three areas, do you think that that work will bubble up to government, to the level of government? Is that your vision? I think I, I do think it's real. And I would even say that government will have no choice. And when I say government will have no choice, I would say government in partnership with corporations. Uh, one of the key themes that I'm really not very much attached to and which is one of the premise on which I started my, my consulting firm is the notion of strategic purpose. And the notion of strategic purpose, as I defined it, is really a synthesis between the societal aspiration of a company and its strategic ambition. Because give, give me that again. Just based on strategic purpose defining. Yeah, sure. As I said, strategic purpose is the synthesis between the societal aspiration of a firm and its strategic ambition. And the reason why I do believe it is critically important, and now after two years, where everyone has had the opportunity to rethink very deeply about its own purpose and how he wanted to be aligned with what he was actually doing, working for a corporation and for some of, you know, for, for civil servant in public service, the line, the, the purpose they, they see instilling the nation. Uh, I really believe that we are at a critical time where both strategy and purpose are more needed than ever. And back to your question about, do I see that put forward and actually moving forward into government and, and businesses. Yes, I do think so, because I really see both parties needing to converge to actually help moving the society forward. If you look at what we see today, uh, there's a strong momentum around purpose, which is led not only by a sense of macroeconomic responsibility, because when you have 41% of the top 100 economies who are corporations, it really puts 
a sense of responsibility on the corporate world. Now, on the micro level, when companies are able to really embrace the notion of purpose and are really able to implement that on a daily basis, you actually find out that they do find opportunities to innovate, to uh, satisfy the new, new, new customers who are actually very much in, in key, very keen in not only consuming product and services, but consuming meaning. They are very much also atta attached to the idea of giving a sense of purpose to the employees. So you, you do have a convergence of factors which make it today very compelling for companies to embrace the notion of strategic purpose. And the reason why I get back to my, back to my <coughs> definition of the strategic purpose, I do believe it's very important for companies to look at the strategic purpose, but from a multidimensional perspective. Very often today, when you're here talking about purpose, here the, the notion of purpose through the of corporate citizenship. But an organization and certainly corporations are much more than that, they are much multidimensional. And beyond the corporate citizens that they, that they are or that they aspire to be, companies are industrial players, they are economic agents, and they are market-driven organizations. And in that sense, I do believe that the notion of strategic purpose perfectly align all these dimensions of the companies and more than just them a strategic direction, a societal aspiration, I profoundly believe that being able to put a strategic purpose to work is actually a vehicle through which they can shape the legacy that they do have for society. And yeah. not only for the corporation. Yeah, I, I understand where you're going, but I have great concern that this is not going to happen in our lifetime. And, you know, so when I look at the reality of what's happening, I see, you know, big corps talking about this as a theory, as a concept, and not truly embracing it from the top down or the bottom up. And I think evidence of that is things like the great resignation that we are dealing with worldwide. People are saying, mm -hmm. You know what? This company does not represent my values. Well, if it doesn't represent your values, then how does that work with the strategic purpose of the organization if it's to make major change, not only in the product and services that they're delivering, but their state of being as a corporation? Do you see where I'm going yeah. with this? You've got Talk a point yeah. belling and saying, this is all bullshit, you know? um to, to lose to use a straight uh word here so I, I don't mm -hmm. see, i thought especially with the five pandemics that we have my hope was that we would see dramatic change and instead i'm seeing things that that say well big corporate saying let's figure out how to work around this not not let's figure out how to solve this right and I love that, you know, I think evidence of this, your evidence in the United States, is I take a look at um, job opportunity, right? And I look at the descriptions. Yeah. I saw one the other day. It was, I don't even remember who it was for, but uh, it was for a restaurant. The job description, when I read it, I sat there and I laughed. It was four jobs in one, literally four jobs, four distinctly different jobs in one under the lowest pay you can imagine. And I mm -hmm. think this is evidence that companies, and it's, it was a big chain, companies have not got it yet. Mm -hmm in what they're looking for and, and their intent for use. Mm -hmm. I would answer this in, 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 in two ways. Um, firstly, I, I do think that we arrived at a time where, and probably it's, it's still in, you know, the idea is still, still has progress to make, but today CEOs, I, I do believe CEOs need to recognize that the notion of purpose is actually has become 
the ultimate level of strategy. You know, for a very long time, we totally used thinking about strategy. I totally agree. I agree. And and the, the, now that I, having said that, the challenge is indeed that the purpose doesn't just stay as a thinking exercise at the top, but it then cascaded down throughout the organization. I do believe that it's a challenge for companies, but if you think of strategy as the ultimate level of strategy, then I do believe that at different levels, you can cascade it down. The first level you need to cascade it down is the corporate level strategy. So basically when thinking about corporate strategy, you think about two sides of the equation. The first side is the portfolio of businesses, market segment, geographies or value chains you want to invest in. And then what is the parenting or the corporate center strategy you need to put forward in order to make sure that the whole is actually putting purpose to work. But that is actually the very first level because that also, that means that you're going to decide about the businesses you want to, to be in and to compete in, not only purely on in, in terms of strategy, in strategic or economic terms, but also in societal terms. And that is the first level of incorporating so the, the, the notion of strategic purpose into your strategy is basically that it becomes the decision maker in where do I decide to put my investment in terms of business. If you go one, one level lower at the business level, it's essentially a question of how do the business model dimensions fit in, into the strategy purpose? Are we organized? His, our business model, does our business model reflect the purpose we want to achieve? And then here at that level, basically you look at basically at the value proposition, you will look at the client dimension, you will look at the infrastructure, and ultimately we look at the, at the profitability measurement of the company. And all these four dimensions need to reflect that purpose. And then you come one layer, one, one, no, one layer uh, lower at the functional level, basically at the business operation levels. And you need to ask yourself, okay, now that we have that business model in place, we are sure that this dimension do reflect and do support effectively the business model. How do we basically put the operations to work in order to reflect that? So I really believe that I would say intellectually, you have that methodology you can use and you can actually put forward in order to make sure that from a business perspective, the, the, the notion of purpose is actually cascaded down through all the level of strategy. But I do believe that there's, a, that there's another factor, which I would call a softer factor, which needs to come into play in order to make sure that the notion of purpose is really embedded in the company. And as you said, to avoid the, the, the sense or the sensation or the feeling of, of employees that basically with thinking is just a you know, nice purpose statement on a blank sheet of paper, I would encourage CEOs to really use the, the corporate culture as a vehicle to use in order to actually have them really put you know, really put their purpose to work. And I do believe on one hand, you might think that culture is very intangible in order to put another element into, into practice. But at the same time, if you think of purpose as the overarching core values of the company, if we think of purpose as a new kind of DNA you want to instill in the firm, then leveraging the culture and the different dimensions of corporate culture is actually, does actually make a lot of sense. And I do believe that by combining both approaches, I would say the most strategic approach, which will allow companies to really cascade down the strategic purpose throughout the organization on one hand, and then soft side, leveraging the, the dimensions of the corporate culture to actually instill that strategic purpose to make sure that it does reflect in day-to-day -day behaviors, that it does appear and occur in organization and in operations. I do, really do believe that by combining both approaches uh, is the way forward to actually make sure that strategic purpose actually works and that at the end of the day, um, the, the corporations will be able to deliver on their societal promises. So here's where we differ. I totally agree with you here. Um, I think we differ in something that I would like to see. I would like to see the soft side and the hard side become one. 
and not first look at the hard side as the business strategy and purpose. And then as it trickles down, look at the uh, social responsibility, the social justice. I think that that's got to be moved up to the top. So you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and that's why I really insist on the notion of strategic purpose as a synth, as a synthesis between the strategy side and the societal side. The way I've described it naturally very special, but you're right in the fact that you won't, you, you won't make it happen just by moving sequentially. It really has to be, uh, to, to be done. Uh, you know, yeah, and then but there is another, there's another side, which is the consumer responsibility, right? Because I remember in my days at General Foods where we, we had so much pushback from families, from parents saying we needed less sugar, in, for example, in the cereals. When we produced cereal that had less sugar, the feedback, oh, it tastes terrible. Right? So yeah. we have to be consistent in what we ask. And when it's delivered, we have to accept. Right? So yeah. we have to figure That's out what, what's the ask, what's the why, and can we deliver it that way and then get feedback before we launch. So, yeah, I agree, but I, I think it's three parts it's the company as a person, it's the employee. Mm -hmm as a human being, and it's the consumer as a buyer, that all has to be mixed in with the purpose and the strategy. I would, yeah. I, I would even add uh, one area which is also very important and which is very increasingly important is the investment community. Ah, um, yes. Which, yes, which, you know, which, which really, which is now very much um, looking forward to investing in corporations that embrace their purpose and that really translates their purpose into a real societal improvement and at the same time strategic and financial and economic results. So but, yeah. but I think that I would add one element to the equation and it's the responsibility and, and let's, of the and let's not let's not forget the board. I was exactly about doing that. Uh, basically yeah. I would even say so I'm about to talk about the, the role of the CEO. And as you said, it's not only about the CEO, it's the CEO is the C-suite and it's the board. The way I see it moving forward, I, I like to think about CEOs today as complex equilibrium officer because the, the complexity of the equilibrium that they have, that, that they have to match uh, has actually increased. Their role is really increased. And, and if you talk about, if I relate that to the general theme of the show, the, the notion of courage and how in this sense, you actually mix the courage with strategy, as you said, as, as the intention, intersectionality of courage and strategy, CEOs, I do believe that CEOs need actually to enrich their strategic leadership repertoire. Uh, and by that, I mean, the word is a, CEOs to see CEOs as purpose-driven business leaders, but purpose-driven business leaders who have, on one hand, assets to manage, and on the other uh, on the other side, liabilities they have to, to manage as well. Yeah. By the asset, I, I, I basically I really see three assets that are key in the strategic leadership repertoire of CEOs, and I believe which can be very important in order for him for them to be effective. And then I would say mandate extension, uh, as we see it now with the notion of purpose. The first one is really to have a dual leading grid about the world. So for a very long time, there had been a dichotomy between the business orientation and the society, which was more considered part of the environment. But today, CEOs really need to intertwine both perspectives into one and they have to constantly have that dual perspective, that dual reading grid in their mind in order to effectively lead their, their companies uh, through the, the achievement of the strategic purpose. The second asset that I see and that they can actually leverage moving forward with them, that notion of purpose is actually really what I activate what I call the soul of the firm. 
and mm -hmm. the so and the, and I really do believe that the purpose today, more than the ultimate level of strategy of the companies, has become the overarching value, but also the overarching soul of the firm. And it's the role and the responsibility of the CEO and the board to reactivate that. Back to what I said a, a little bit earlier, through the different methods or the, the different lever, levers that they can use in order to put that to work. And then um, the, the the third aspect I would see uh, for for CEO, as I said a bit earlier, is really trying to create the culture and and to make sure to actually translate that culture into a culture of purpose. So those are the three I would say the three what I would say or positive element. Um, I would say instruments that CEOs need to leverage in order to be effective. But on the other side of the equation, uh, you have assets, but you also have liabilities. And by li liabilities here, I would really think of the trade-offs that CEOs need to manage, trade-offs you, you might consider tensions. The first one I see is managing the scope of the firm versus the, the scope of society. They, we are very much evolving into a moving variables environment with blurring of with blurring boundaries between industries uh, the emergence of ecosystems that actually blur those those boundaries those borders even further uh, and you 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 have a constellation of companies moving from what we called previously industries to another one so there's, there's a level of complexity in managing the scope of the front and I do, I do believe that it has become more complex than ever but at the same time, if I put that in perspective with what I call the dual reading grid that you need to have, they also need to manage the scope of society and the scope of society with their sense of responsibilities that goes along with that is also moving. The geopolitical environment is moving. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a variable geometry environment. Uh, as you said, the, 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 of, um, the, the sense of power that you consumer, in citizens, investor is also part of the environment. And basically they have to have those two dimensions into, to, 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 into a, to take all these dimensions into account. And moving forward, they basically they have to, at the end of the day to make a, a successful strategy out of it. So that is the first trade-off that I, they really need to manage, scope of society versus scope of the, the, the company. The second one that I believe is very important but let me just in, add on this why is it that there seems to be a separation of church and state here? You know, I mean, I'm going to give you an example. Here in the United States, price of goods is escalating beyond control. I mean, it's scary. The price of food is doubling since the pandemic. And companies are blaming it on labor and supply, right? Okay, I, I can accept supply a little bit, but just because the scarcity demand doesn't mean you have to follow the traditional seesaw, you know, which says scarcity, you increase your prices, right? Because you can. Um, this is a lack of purpose. It's a lack of consideration. It's a lack of thought for the ultimate consumer, right? So I don't see where society is being considered in the decision-making of the company right here and now. Uh, on, on one hand, you, you, you might think of the, the, you know, the, the customer as the, 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 the center point of decision of companies. Uh, on, on the other hand, as I, I as I said, with the different challenges that the that companies are actually going through, that CEOs actually are, are dealing with, uh, it's a it's certainly a, a change of paradigm. Uh, but it's a change of paradigm that also goes with a learning curve. So uh, we're still at the very beginning of you know of the, this purpose driven era, uh, and. And you know, there's a lot of also trials, and, and there might be trials and error. There might be mistakes along the way, in order to to make sure that at the end of the day, the decision really do reflect the purpose. But back to what we identified a bit earlier as a challenge to really put that purpose to work 
if you if you're not clear about how the, the strategic purpose really translate at all levels of the strategy and at the end of time. the day at the end of the day it might be challenging for you to find the right equation between how you deal with on an organizational and operational standpoint and how at the end of the day find the balance between uh, between serving the customers way that allow the first growth for and so if I get back to the, to the challenges that was identified, the trade-off, the first, the second one that I saw is actually about the time frame. And by that, I mean, you have a trade-off between, or you might have a trade-off between the time realization of society contribution, which you might have as part of your societal aspiration, and the time of business results. Uh, and you, you might find yourself as a CEO, as a board, uh, as a senior manager, senior executives, in a situation where you have to decide between, okay, uh, do we go further right now with the the achievement or an intermediate achievement of a United Nations Sustainable Go Development Goal, as we had identified in our strategic roadmap, or should we prioritize the short-term business result because it will, in the long term, allow the company to have a better strategic positioning. So this is the kind of trade-off that you might actually find yourself in when you're basically at the helm of the company. Uh, and it seems like uh, like a simple trade-off, but it, it can be very it can be very challenging. My stance on this one is that you have two kinds of companies. It, you know, you, you might be a company uh, like you know like like the GAFAM or like you know, like very prosperous companies who have uh, both kind you know, cash market capitalization and net profit um, which come which do compare with the GDP of some nations and in this case basically you know you're a multi-billion dollar company and it wouldn't be a problem for you to reallocate some of those resources in the achievement of the strategic purpose but for all the others I really believe that there's a very clear roadmap that you need to build and to design in order to make sure that step by step, you allow the economic performance of the company to actually nurture and provide fuel for achievement of societal aspiration. But you need to be very clear on the roadmap in the first place. And that comes back somehow that relates to one of one, another challenge that you need to have and which directly relates to what you told about the involvement of the board is that you need a very strong alignment between the board and the C-suite. And it's very important to have for, for both governance bodies to have those purpose discussion in the first place, because I don't see any trouble or any very you know insurmountable or very big challenges for boards and, and, and C-suites to agree on what the strategic purpose might be. But then along the way, when the financial results are coming, uh, both need to be aligned about the roadmap and what it will mean, financially speaking, to go throughout the, the strategic purpose journey. But I also that, it, I want to just interrupt you a second here. I think there's also an opportunity yeah. to involve your customer or your client in these decisions so that you receive more support. I'll give you an example, and everybody that's listening knows that Costco is like my top favorite store. Um, Costco has made a decision, the CEO made a decision to hold its prices on hot dogs and chickens, right? So it's really like a loss leader for them. Their philosophy is, this is what our customers expect, and this is what we're going to deliver. And so when they, for example, when they ran into trouble about the chickens, when uh, companies that they were working with said, sorry, we have to increase the price, so therefore you have to increase your price, Costco said, oh, hell no. No, no, we don't have to do that. What we can do and what we will do is open a chicken farm. And so therefore, we'll keep the size of the chickens the way that they are, which are huge. And guess what? We get to keep the price. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody who 
the Costco fanatic knows that story, right? And so I envision that if Costco raises the price on their chickens from $4.99 to $5.99, customers are going to say, you know what? They held it tight for years and years. They even went and built a chicken factory so that we could have the same size chickens and still hold the price. We're going to go with the increase in price. You see, because there is a point where consumers know that if you're trying to work with them, they're going to say, yeah, we have to tighten our belt, but we get it. But these secret uh, meetings and these explosives without reason and without fighting the consumer from the very beginning, that's not purpose driven, that's greed driven. I think that what is very interesting and might be taken as an insight, at least a path to uh, to investigate for for for, for business leadership, is what you've just described, is the co-creation of product and service between corporations and customers. Um, and I do believe that it might be a way forward. It obviously it will not translate exactly the same across the different industries. But having customers recognizing themselves in the purpose of the companies or they want to buy product and services from and, and companies, corporates delivering product and services with a sense of purpose that customers do recognize, as from the moment that you do have that alignment, I don't believe it's a very big stretch to think about a co-creation between customers and companies. And that might be a way forward to make sure that at the end of the day, both parties uh, agrees on how to put things forward. And as you said, customers are smart, they're intelligent. Uh, and if they are really recognizing corporations as, a, as an organization that re-deliver on the purpose in which they do recognize themselves in, and, and with which they do align, it might be the way forward for them as well. So uh, Absolutely. Uh, and, and and know where your breaking point is. So I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Microsoft, when they started, when I personally perceived them as not caring about the customers, but, but caring about greed themselves, I said to myself, well, you can't live without certain Microsoft products if you're, if you're not a tech person but you can certainly limit the purchase of Microsoft products, right? Why do I have to rent a software that I'm buying, right? Which is really in essence what they did. Now, Apple, on the other hand, their prices are absorbent and they come out with so many product relaunch, uh, new products. But I have to say, my first Apple computer lasted 11 years and it's still working. So I say to myself, well, I take those 11 years and I divide it by the cost. It's actually less money to buy an Apple product. Now there is a breaking point and I'm quickly reaching it <laughs> with Apple to say, okay, uh, you know what? You're a little bit out of control with these prices and these constant changes. Yeah, the product is still top, but I'm going to tell you, the minute that product stops being top, I'm going to look elsewhere because I think you're out of control. So yeah. there has to be, and Apple has built its reputation on quality. So don't slip on that quality because I am not going to then justify for the price. So there has to be that kind of recognition, that kind of communication from big core that connection with their customer. Otherwise, you're going to fall to the wayside. So I think, uh, yeah. to my point earlier, the customer's got to be pushed up in the dialogue of purpose and strategy. It's very, it's very much so. And today, part of the what, what might have been felt as a pressure uh, from, you know, from business leadership came from the customers because the, because the consumer behavior we have been observing 
was not only tied to the quality of the product or service, was not only tied to the quality of, uh, of you know, of the value proposition. It was very, it's really now very much tied to uh, the, the purpose that the companies put forward, but not just the purpose that the companies put forward, the purpose that the customer do see in the delivery of the product and services. So uh, the same way uh, you see that uh, with the investor or with the employees who basically want their companies to to stand for something. Yes. Um, the, the same with the investor community. So so from all angles, uh, it, 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 really, it, it, it actually is becoming a decision-making factor. Uh, and and the customer will certainly yes have power, but you might even say, you, you might even make an analogy with politics. At the end of the day, citizens have the power to vote, <laughs> and by voting, they decide whether or not a government move forward is reconducted or not. And basically, the same applies with the customers. They do have that electoral vote, electoral consuming vote. <laughs> They just have basically. They just decide whether or not their, I mean, their, their, their previous provider was worth the, the, the trust that they have put in them. If not, they will just switch to a company with whom they feel much more aligned and which delivers on their promises in terms of purpose. What do you think is leading to? And we only have a few more minutes. I'm so sorry because this this is such a rich conversation, but. Thank what you, do you think is leading to the strength of voice that the consumer has, unlike any time before? I do believe that it starts with, I would say, a personal rethink about about their own purpose. You now we are now out of two years where people have really had the opportunity to think very deeply about who they were. Uh, about how they projected themselves, about how they consume. Uh, I don't know how whether it was that astute, you know, that acute in, in the, the U.S., but but in most of the continent, you had this distinction uh, made by government between what was considered essential versus non-essential businesses. Um, and all of a sudden, you realize that eighty percent of the businesses shut down just from you know just based on that that taxonomy or that this that way of defining the, the businesses but that at the same time then people start realizing or start thinking about what is essential to me yes and i really believe and i really believe that it has been a journey i don't i don't think that it really it, it just started over the last two years but i think that previously it was marginal uh but now the the, the pandemic and the two years we've been through uh, recently basically exacerbated that 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 thinking that mm. thought. Mm. And the reality and the reality is that as I said, we are all multidimensional. We are individuals. We are citizens. We are customers. And all of a sudden, you had people realizing that they could actually put bring that in every dimension of their lives. They came back to work, and they realized, okay, here. This is how I want to move forward because I'm now thinking about who I am. I start realigning with myself and moving forward. Should I work for a company? I want the company to, you know, to go that way because otherwise I won't be aligned and I will go elsewhere. The same applies to customers. For a long time, I've been very much the fruit of the marketing that we, we've been served. And that we at so and that and today people or customers realize not only that they do have power, but that they can consume in a way that aligns with their values. So I, I really believe that this is the starting point, and and then the second and, and the next step has been okay. Now I want to bring that to put that forward in every dimension of my life. I have a very interesting anecdote about this one. I discussed uh, a few weeks ago um, with. Uh, with a senior executive in the automotive who actually he's involved in sustainability and, and all these initiatives. And he told me that he could really see a distinction in the requirement of new applicants, the so-called gen, you know, the so-called gen uh, Y and Z. 
and he told me that the Gen Y was very much, you know, basically they came and they had like a set of requirements. Okay, this is my vision, this is my purpose, and I want your company to work that way, that way, that way, and that way. If not, <laughs> I'm moving elsewhere. <laughs> but, but, but then he told me then the Gen Z, now they're coming and they go even further. They're turning, okay, I mean with the purpose, but if I don't find it in my job description, if I don't see a way for myself to contribute effectively on a daily basis to what I believe are important causes for the world, then I'm not interested. So you see, the, the, so the, the question the question you ask about how can I see or how can we see a way forward for customers to have power is actually a question which transcends the notion of of the customers and which transcends basically all the dimensions we are in the way we just conduct of li our lives. Oh, well, all I have to say is uh, companies. Hold on. It's just the beginning. <laughs> it's, just the, it's just the beginning, but it's also for them the beginning of a great opportunity. Yes. A great, a great opportunity to contribute, a great opportunity to be strategically and econo economically performant, but then a great opportunity to shape a legacy for the next generations. And when you look at the you know, what we see now, not only on the climate change, but more generally speaking, in the change of paradigm that we see uh, in the sense of mixing the, the notions of ecology and the notions of, of, of economy, you also see a trend moving, you know, a, a trend moving forward uh, where all the, basically all the pieces of the puzzle are starting to fit together. And what was previously opposed or separate is actually now part of the same story. Well, let's say that there is an opportunity for strategic purpose if they hire your company. Thank you very much. It, as I said, it, it's very much, an, it's more than an idea. I really believe that's critically important for the success of the company, but also for the success of society. Uh, and as you rightly put, there's also an opportunity to, for government to think that way as well. And at the end of the day, both partnerships um, will actually, I'm very convinced of that, will actually make it happen. But there are challenges along the way. There's a learning curve for CEOs, but also for government officials. Um, but we are all part of the same story. As you said, as customers, as citizens, as individuals, as business professionals, we, at every, you know, at every step along the way at you know at every seat on the table regarding you know according to the way we are uh, according to where we are and where we act there's a basically there's an opportunity for everyone but i do look forward to uh to yeah be to 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 have the privilege to um to, to advise companies and to then serve their strategic purpose well what is the name please give the name of your company and how to reach you so the, the name of my company is the Mpoyo Consulting Group. And the easiest way to reach me uh, would be through my LinkedIn profile. So Mina Kim Poyo. And there you will have uh, obviously the opportunity to, 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 to reach out to me directly, but you also have the opportunity to see all my publications, my posts, um, and, and basically all the ideas uh, I've put forward, not only around strategic purpose, but the more generally speaking around strategy, which basically, as I told, is uh, the, the very the very core of my passion. Wow, this has just been so enlightening. It's, uh, it's an intense subject matter that we really need to have the courage, that's a plug for my company, the courage to move forward with, the courage to hire your company. So if you need that courage, reach out to the Courage Consultant. That's me. 
So this is CB. I want to thank you so much for being on our show and really talking talking to us in detail about strategy and purpose, which the time has come. Thank you, audience. Yes. Allow me to thank you for, for the great opportunity to be on your show. I was very much looking forward to that conversation. Um, and, and I really enjoyed that conversation as well. So thank you very much for your curiosity, your passion, your energy as well. Uh, and I look forward to other conversations as well. So thank you Absolutely. very much for the for Absolutely. So with that, I want to remind everybody to please tune in to CB Bowman Live on either your podcast or your video podcast and be sure to be here next week and be sure to rate us and comment. I'm so looking forward to your comments. See you again next week for another guest. And you know, I never tell you who the guest is because it's a secret. Unless you subscribe to my newsletter on LinkedIn and there you'll see the secrets. Bye now. Have a very successful week. It's C.B. Bowman Live.